This is Carson Wentz, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by RosterWatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap and joining us today, a, a very, very special guest, one of the one of the smartest men out there in the football streets. You know him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. He's the NFL writer for the USA Today's Touchdown Wire, one of the um, one of the one of the you know, whenever I saw that he was going to be a guest, I got so excited because he's a guy who I've been reading back to when he was with Inside the Pylon regarding his quarterback stuff, his quarterback evaluations. Always love to hear it. Mark Schofield, what the hell's going on, brother? What's going on, Alex? Great to be with you. Great to get the little Inside the Pylon shout out. Uh, those were some good times. We had a great roster of people writing for us. Um, so many people have gone on to do such great things, and it's just nice to be an alum of that place. Um, happy to be here today. Happy to talk some quarterback storylines, and we're doing it. Look, training camp's underway now. We've got practice film coming in. We've got people taking reps. We're always get, already getting overreactions on the timeline, so it's always a fun time of year. All right, so let's go. Uh, you you obviously have a you obviously have a, a East Coast uh, an East Coast um, coastal elitist uh, mindset, and, and so it. you pro- <laughs> so you let's like let's just start out in the A let's go a the AFC and then the NFC. So we'll go AFC. Let's start with the AFC East, and clearly there's a lot of quarterback intrigue here, and you got to pick one. Um, that's pretty tough. Whenever you have you know you have. Will Tua take a step forward? What, like what the Cam Newton, Mac Jones stuff, and then of course Zach Wilson. What's your evaluation of him and uh, what he could do for that Jets offense? I, I would have a hard time picking one. What, what's the biggest quarterback storyline in the in the AFC East for you? Yeah, and out of all eight divisions, this might be the toughest one to pick. The NFC West <laughs> is pretty tough too. When I was sitting down and sketching things out, but I'll, this might come off as an absolute homer selection. But I will say the New England Patriots because you look at. The decisions they made this offseason, the additions they made at tight end, John O. Smith, Hunter Henry, the additions they made a wide receiver, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. This is a roster that if you talk to people in and around that organization, they will tell you they feel really good about 21 of 22 positions. They think that at 21 of 22 positions, they can compete. Unfortunately for them, that 22nd position that they're a little shaky on is quarterback. And we know quarterback is such a you know critical position in today's National Football League. So are you going to get Cam Newton? And if so, is he going to be better than last year? Well, I don't think it's hard to be worse. You know, this was a bad passing game last year. It was an ineffective passing game. Now, Cam will tell you that he wasn't healthy. Cam will tell you that he did get COVID. And so he certainly wasn't the same after he was recovering and coming back from that. So you would expect that perhaps he will be better than he was last year. But if not, how quickly do they turn to rookie Mac Jones? And we're recording this on the first day of many training camp practices. 
He was the first quarterback, Mac Jones, out of the building today, onto the practice field. There is a lot of excitement. Anytime you draft a quarterback in the first round, particularly in the top half of the first round, there will be expectations that he is going to play and play quickly. So can can Cam Newton hold him off? Will Mac Jones get the starts? And if so, when? How early? Does he win the job out of training camp? I mean, this is a team that they think can win right now, but they need a quarterback that can be effective right now. That's the biggest storyline in the AFC East as far as quarterbacks go, if you ask me. Okay, all right. So did, did you do I'm, – I'm, I'm sure you, you did evals on these guys coming out. What did, you, what did you think of Mac Jones and what about his game? Um, specifically, what about his game do you think could kind of coincide with what you've noticed that Josh McDaniels likes to do or what he likes to have in his quarterbacks? Yeah, Alex, and when you watched Mac Jones coming out of Alabama, you saw some things that the Patriots typically tend to prioritize at the quarterback position. You saw accuracy. You saw decision-making. You saw awareness of protections and where his hot spots were, where his weaknesses in those protection schemes were. There were moments when you could see him on film, realize that, look, this particular blitz is coming. We can't block that up. I've got to bail the pocket early. He's not a super athlete, but if he can get ahead of things with his mind, he can protect himself in the pocket when those blitzes come, when those protections can potentially break down and it's that ball placement and decision maker that typically jives well with what josh mcdaniels structures offensively routes that are designed to maximize yardage after the catch quick game crossers pivot routes option routes and all those things and so that typically meshes well with what mac jones does and what this offense likes to do now when they were doing stuff at alabama it was often more vertical in the passing game play action deep shots rpos deep shots patriots traditionally a more horizontal short yardage attack so there will need to be a little bit of mesh between those two concepts the vertical game that jones is used to and the horizontal pass game in new england but that being said you could see things on film that the patriots did prioritize prioritize at the position and you, and you can even think too, and and we'll, and, and we'll move on because we want to get through all these. But but you can even think too if you think back to the championship game before Devontae Smith got hurt. I mean, there was a little bit of a horizontal kind of game going on there with the way they were getting him involved in screens and stuff really early on, just peppering him. Yeah, so absolutely, um, it, there's a little little bit of that. So what about the NFC East? I mean, there's definitely at least intrigue here. I mean, you got Dak Prescott coming off an injury for the Cowboys. What to make of Jalen Hurts now for the um, for the Eagles? I guess uh, I guess in Washington we might have Ryan Fitzpatrick time. How long till he turns into a a, a pumpkin like he always does? <laughs> what, right. what do you What do you think, man? What, what's yeah, the most I mean, What's the, What's the biggest storyline here? Four great storylines, but where I'm really going to be paying attention is in New York, where you get the New York Giants that have sort of assembled a talented roster around the quarterback position. They're getting Saquon Barkley back at some point. You know, we don't know if he's going to be ready to go for week one. There's still some speculation about that. They add Kenny Galladay in the offseason. They draft Kadarius Tony. They add Kyle Rudolph, who not the player he used to be, but I think he's going to get some Renzo, end zone, red zone type targets. But can Daniel Jones take that sort of leap, that year three leap? But you're hearing Giants fans, you're seeing Giants fans right now. They're all grinning up the Josh Allen comparison, saying, look, Josh Allen made this huge leap last year. They add Stephon Diggs, a receiver for him at free agency. He's suddenly an MVP candidate. We've added Kenny Galladay. Perhaps Daniel Jones can take that sort of step forward because we all know we don't get a lot of NFC East repeat division winners. It hasn't happened since 2004 when the Eagles did it. Is that so, true? 
that's true. We haven't had it since 2004. And so, you know, you look at Washington, they might have a great team on paper, but history tells us it's hard to see division repeat winners in the NFC East. So who could come out of that next three teams, right? Do you look at the Eagles? Do you look at the Cowboys? Do you look at the Giants? The Giants could be in the best position of those three teams, but it all sort of hinges on Daniel Jones and whether he takes that step forward or not. Do you do, just if you can just think back to after you got done with the Josh Allen Senior Bowl to after you got done with Daniel Jones's Senior Bowl and not what we've known about them since in the in the league, but just your evaluation of them after you'd done the film work, you'd seen him at the Senior Bowl because you know if I just if I completely clear my mind of all this stuff when I think back at those two guys, my the way that I envisioned them coming out of Mobile after I'd done my initial work. To me, I came out thinking of those two guys as being a lot alike. Did you do, did you see them similarly, or yeah. what was your take on on Daniel Jones coming out? Yeah, I mean, I sort of saw them the same way. Guys that had tools, athleticism, traits, certainly had arm talent, but there were going to be some questions about how well they could sort of evolve and develop into an NFL offense. Both of those guys seemed at times to sort of rely on raw athleticism, their arm talent. Jones specifically coming out of Duke, a lot of one and zero step drop concepts, really RPO heavy, quick game heavy, designed reads and throws. And so you're wondering how that's going to translate to the NFL. The interesting thing you know, given that sort of background, you might expect the Giants to be more of a quick passing game, RPO heavy. Jones has been his most effective throwing deep downfield. And so that's sort of the tension. And it sort of looks at why they went out and got Jason Garrett, who's known for his vertical passing designs. That's probably a window into the organization's thinking that, look, that's his best downfield. Let's get a more vertical minded offensive coordinator and Jason Garrett and try to pair our offense to what he does best. Let's let's let's, let's bring in a guy like Galladay who can who, who can right. win that way or Kadarius who can who can really stretch the field for you. All right, let's move to the South guys. We'll start with the AFC South. Um, I, I think you probably, I, I don't, this will, this will be tough because the, I think the Carson Wentz stuff is very interesting. And I also, of course, I mean, Trevor Lawrence and urban and urban Meyer, or did you know, I mean, what the hell's going on with Deshaun Watson? <laughs> yeah. how, how do you make nuts and bolts of the biggest storyline here, Mark? Yeah, I mean, pretty tough to choose here, too, because you have the Watson situation. You have the first overall selection. But I'm going to go with Carson Wentz because you're talking about somebody that didn't regress last year. He pretty much collapsed. You could see him when he was playing for the Eagles last year, making decisions, reads, and throws and mistakes that he was making as a senior at North Dakota State. I actually did a, a video breakdown that game against the Seattle Seahawks, the Monday night game when Lewis Riddick and Brian and greasy were in the booth just pulling their hair out because he can't read four verticals a staple concept of his offense back in north dakota state and then you watch him trying to run that design with the bison he was making the same mistakes and so it's not a regression it was a full-on collapse now he has a chance you know reunited with frank reich who was part of that coaching group when he was early with the eagles that helped carson wentz make that sort of leap from year one to year two becoming sort of an mvp candidate before he had the knee injury you know becoming an mvp a super bowl caliber team when he was their quarterback and so the hope is that Reich can sort of fix him they can get Wentz's confidence back but they're betting on him in a big way because the player I saw last year was not the guy we saw in 2017 was not the guy we saw in 2019 when he sort of willed the Eagles to the playoffs down the stretch thrown to guys like Greg Ward jr. He was a full on collapse. And so can't he get back to at least 2019 Carson Wentz, if not 2017 Carson Wentz, if so, the Colts could be in a very good position to win this division. If not, they might have to revisit quarterback in the next draft cycle. That's how bad it could be. If we see the same Carson Wentz we saw a season ago. 
What's your gut on that? I mean, because if, if, if the Eagles did value Frank Reich enough to where they're saying like, Jesus Christ, we'll even bring in Sirianni. If he's going to be anything like Frank Reich was like, we'll take it. Like, we'll take the clone. Like, do you remember that movie? Right. Uh, duplicity where yep. it was like it's like the copy of the copy of the copy who knows if it's gonna be as good but like uh they they've been bringing sirianni just because they want someone like reich they really do like what's what what does your gut feel about how the how the frank reich wince reunion is, is going to go do you are you are you a believer in wince or do you think he's going to continue to continue to not not be what he what, what, yeah. what he used to be i i'm going to believe in carson wentz and frank reich headed into this season for the reason that confidence is so critical to a quarterback's execution and production and last year you certainly saw his confidence was shattered the reunion of frank reich is perhaps that first step towards rebuilding that confidence because now you have a quarterback who a quarterback who knows that this organization affirmatively went out to trade for him you know, Wentz is coming from a strange situation where he's playing so well, but then he gets hurt and falls, wins a Super Bowl. There's people thinking that maybe they should trade Wentz then. Then they go out and draft Jalen Hurts when they had other needs to address, you know, two draft cycles ago. And so it's a situation that it all contributed to the collapse of confidence in Philadelphia. I think the reunion of Frank Reich is putting Wentz in a position where he can be find that confidence again that is so critical to pull quarterback performance and so i'm going to believe going into the season they can rekindle some of that magic now we do need to see it on the field of course but right now i'll believe the 2021 roster watch cheat sheet is available now at rosterwatch.com the revolutionary cheat sheet to change fantasy football forever is back only at rosterwatch.com winning fantasy players don't use outdated magazines or expensive draft software that's impossible to navigate the roster watch cheat sheet all you have to do is follow three simple rules. That's it. Three rules. Guys, it couldn't be easier. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. An expert quality draft is guaranteed as long as you follow the rules. The three simple rules that a toddler could follow. The sheet is magical. It's mystical. It is mythical. It is the Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. Only at rosterwatch.com. In the NFC, in the NFC South, we have two quarterbacks that are just Firmly entrenched now with Matt Ryan coming back, it looks like for at least another couple of years with the Falcons. And of course, uh, Tom, Tom Brady, who there's probably not a more safe and secure quarterback in, in the, in the league. Uh, but but I, I mean, with the saints, what the hell is going to happen with, with the pan with the Panthers? I mean, with Darnold, what do you, what do you think here with this one? This is another, None of these are too easy, Mark. I've been, no. I didn't really thought. I no, really I mean, none of these are really good. easy. Yeah. I mean, you can make a case for any one of these situations mm-hmm. as well. But interesting enough, I'm going to go with Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. Oh, I know okay. that sounds interesting because it seems the most stable sort of storyline here. But my question is this. Can Tom Brady actually be better than he was a season ago? And I think there's a case to be made that he can. You look at last year, right? Learned the new offense. And he told everybody, you know, even after the Super Bowl win, that, look, midway through the season – Around their bye week, he was still struggling to get play calls out. He was still struggling to learn things. We all saw that situation in Chicago on a Monday night when he didn't know what down it was. He thought it was third down when it was really fourth down and oh, how to throw away yeah. and things like that. He actually yeah. just joked about it at the White House. It, and then now we know him. He was playing with a torn MCL the entire season. And so you mm-hmm. have a quarterback at his stage of his career, 20 years in the same offense, basically, because you can see the New England Patriots playbook from 2003 till basically 2016 near the end of his run. It's basically all the same stuff. Same offense for 20 years. Now he's learning the new system. Bruce Arians 
designs things much differently than Joshua Daniels and Patriots coaches, hot routes and things like that are completely different. So he's struggling to learn the playbook. He's playing with a torn MCL in one knee. He still goes out and wins a Super Bowl. Now he's had a full year in the system. He's fully healthy and he's got everybody basically coming back. So I think there's a case to be made and a very strong one at that. The Tron Brady will actually be better this season than last season. And that's the storyline I'm fascinated to watch. Sure. Who's going to start in New Orleans? Fascinating question. Who is Sam Darnold going to like live up to his end of the deal and carry Carolina, also a fascinating question. But Tom Brady, at my age, I'm seven months older than the guy. He's out there winning Super Bowls. I want to see if he can get better than he was last year. <laughs> he, gives, he gives all the rest of us hope, right? Seriously, right? Gives us old guys hope. <laughs> Come on. All right, cool, cool. Um, just out of curiosity, did, like, uh, what, what percentage chance do you give Sam Darnold succeeding in Carolina behind – I'm a believer. I'm a believer, Alex and Joe Brady. I think Joe Brady has a brilliant offensive mind, and I think the situation there, we're going to have some offensive designs that they're going to empty things out. You're going to get Christian McCaffrey involved as a receiver. Brady loves empty formations. You're going to see a lot of quick games, quick reads, quick throws from Sam Darnold. Get the ball out of his hand, and I do think. Look, look, would I bet on it? No, but I think it's at least fifty-fifty that Darnold sort of ends up being a better player than he was in New York, given the Joe Brady influence, number one, and given perhaps getting him away from Adam Gase, number two. That might be the biggest thing in Sam Darnold's favor is getting him away from that situation. All right, let's move up north to the AFC North. And again, it's not easy. You have Joe Burrow coming off injury. You have Big you have Big Ben, who looks like he's a little bit skinnier, but um, how long can his body possibly continue to hold up? Can Lamar Jackson bounce back to his 20, 2019 uh, breakout breakout form? And then Baker, I mean, Jesus, Baker, can he take a step forward and become a true top five quarterback? I, I mean, what are you going to pick here? What's the biggest yeah. storyline? Um, I'm going to go with the Joe Burrow situation in Cincinnati because what sort of makes that the pick for me is the decision to pass on Petty Sewell, the left tackle out of Oregon, the tackle out of Oregon, and draft Jamar Chase. When we all saw last year, even before he got hurt, Joe Burrow was a battered quarterback playing under pressure in the pocket. They couldn't protect him. Zach Taylor had to go a lot of five wide, a lot of empty quick game stuff to try to sort of artificially protect his quarterback by trying to get the football out of his hands. And then he ends up getting hurt. And so you wonder, was it the smart decision to pass on the tackle and perhaps solidify the offensive line and draft the wide receiver? Now, in Cincinnati's defense, there's a couple of ways you can explain that. They added Riley Reef at right tackle. They have Jonah Williams. They've made some other additions on the mm-hmm. offensive line. And so they do think, A, the protection is better. Hard to get worse than it was last year, but they do think it's better. And B, if you're going to continue to go quick game, get a receiver that A, Burrow knows, and B, can win against press off the line of scrimmage. That's Jamar Chase, a physical receiver. If you don't believe me, go back and watch 2019 LSU at Alabama, Chase versus Trayvon Diggs. It was like Rocky versus Drago. I mean, it was a literal heavyweight fight off the line every snap. Those two were throwing punches at each other. But Jamar Chase can show you he could win off the line against press, which you need to do in the NFL anyway but particularly on quick game stuff so the Bengals think they've got to protect it both from the additions they made on the offensive line and with Jamar Chase getting him another weapon in Joe Burrow a a former teammate of his are they right that's the storyline were they right to pass on Penny Sewell or not I'm going to be fascinated to see how that plays out what what do you think what like what did you think then and what do you like because I would have taken the tackle yeah, I would have taken I would have taken the tackle too, Alex. I mean, I think anytime look you draft a quarterback first overall and he gets hurt, you want to avoid the David Carr scenario, right? Which is you yeah. eventually can't protect the guy; he ends up out of the league because you mm-hmm. couldn't put an offensive line in front of him. So my gut in the moment, 
night first first night of the draft was draft the tackle. I can understand why they went in a different direction. I think certainly there's an argument to be made that it was the right decision for them. Still sitting here right now, though, I would have preferred to see them protect Joe Burrow. I know Jamar Chase. I love him. He's a fantastic talent. But you're going to make sure that Burrow can stand up right in the pocket. He's an amazing talent. Did, yeah. did you did you like did you like um do you have Jamar Chase as the same level of prospect as like some of these recent like as much as like the CD Lambs or yeah. like AJ absolutely. Brown or something? Absolutely. Yeah, you absolutely. Have a, a, yeah. Because particularly when you look at the ability to beat press coverage, because that's one of the things that sometimes receivers struggle with, right? You know, you're seeing press coverage more now when you make that jump from the college game to the pro game, you know. Chase is also a guy that not just can beat press coverage. He can be that X receiver on the outside. Sure. He can win at the catch point, but he's not a guy that wins at the catch point on set on contested catches alone. He's not an Akil Harry that only does that only wins 50, 50 balls. He can Mm -hmm. separate from coverage too. So he gives you everything you need to see from an X receiver. So I'm a huge fan of his game. It's just for Cincinnati. Was he the right pick at that time? Yeah, and, and we'll see soon. They certainly have a they certainly have just a great depth of options there now. T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, yeah. Jamar Chase. Um, okay, so that was that was AFC North. So NFC North. Jesus, we have Aaron Rodgers. We um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll bet that's your guy. But I mean, who knows? Golf in Detroit could be the thing. Maybe you want to talk about J- Justin Fields. How soon does he come in and play for uh, Ch- Chicago? Um, I don't know. What is it? What did you choose, Mark? Right. Did the, the Aaron Rodgers sort of. Devontae Adams' last dance storyline is certainly interesting, as is the golf situation. But I'm going to go with Justin Fields and how quickly he sees the field. I mean, he was my second favorite quarterback in this draft class. I was a huge fan of his game, his athleticism, his arm talent, the way he made such a developmental leap from his first year as a starter to his second year as a starter. You watch his two games against Clemson, right? The 2019 game they lost, the 2020 game they won worlds apart in terms of how he was reading and throwing from the pocket as I was stunned to see him fall to where he did I know his draft cycle was a little bit of an up and down sort of cycle where he had a lot of questions being raised and then sort of batted back but I think when you look at his fit in Chicago I think is a very good fit for a number of reasons I think the athleticism the arm talent the familiarity with some of the concepts that you see Matt Nagy dial up some of the West Coast sort of air raid type concepts that Nagy likes to write. You saw some of those in Ohio State's playbook as well. And I, I think, look, anytime you get a young quarterback that can be competitive early, you want to get them out, the field, out on the field. You want to get them those reps, those developmental games, those opportunities to showcase what he can do and get that needed experience on the field. And so provided he's on the same page, on the same level as Andy Dalton coming out, and I have every expectation he will be, I'd expect to see Justin Fields the week one starter. So does he live oh. up to the hype? Does okay. he become that week one starter? All things being equal, Alex, if I'm making that decision, these two guys are on the same level. I'm putting Justin Fields in the lineup for week one. Well, that's that's gr- that's great to hear. I I'd always thought um, I'd actually thought whenever I looked at the uh, the I was doing the strength of schedule stuff for our for our fantasy strength of schedule for uh, for these guys, and I was looking at it and I thought that I forget I forget when the Bears when the uh, bears go to play Carolina, but I think it was like maybe week four or week five. And I thought maybe that would be a good place to insert him as maybe uh, revenge for not, for not, for not taking it. Um, But, but, but I think for what you said, it's interesting because there was something you said a minute ago and you said, and if you compare the Clemson, the two Clemson games, it was just so different 
Yeah. Is there anything you could specifically let the listeners know about that you noticed that was different? Like what the what the specific improvements were that you saw and what and why that might lead you to believe that he could be on a he could be on a a, um, a trajectory to where he 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 might be able to come in and start in 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 week one. Yeah, and it is important to give all of this stuff a little bit of context. They play at the Rams week one. Now, that might not be the best defense to throw Justin Fields in. You've got Jimmy <laughs> Ramsey, you've got Aaron yeah. Donald. So, I mean, he might be ready, but they still might decide, look, I, we don't want to throw him into a road game. You know, week two, they're home against Cincinnati. That might be a better game for him to make that start if he's ready that soon. With respect right. to the two Clemson games, I did a YouTube breakdown you could find in Mark Schofield, Justin Fields, Clemson, where I actually broke nope. down – both of those games. So, you know, that's like a 25, 30 minute video, but quickly the decision-making, the quickness with which he made up his mind and got the football out of his hands was night and day between those two games. Now, they were certainly both Brett Venable's defenses that he was going up against, but the talent in the first one was better. You had Isaiah Simmons and some other players on that side of the football. But you saw in that first game, Fields was hesitant. He made a couple of misreads. He missed opportunities. He was late with some throws. And that ultimately cost them the game. There was a, a, They still had a chance to come back and tie that game. And he threw an interception when he was late on a read and on a throw. But then you see the most recent Clemson game, he's decisive. He's working through reads quickly. He's getting the ball out of his hands on time, in rhythm, attacking to all levels of the field, working through progressions, which you probably remember, Alex, was something a lot of people said he couldn't do. Well, he's doing it and doing it on NFL passing concepts in that second Clemson game. So that's what really stood out to me between those two games, the indecisiveness in the first one and the decisive quarterback play in the second. The AFC West, uh, whenever we look at this division, I mean, clearly you have, you know, the Patrick Mahomes and you have Justin Herbert. I wouldn't say nipping on his heels, but damn, man, what a, I don't know. Fantastic. Did you see it coming? Did you see it coming? I kind of saw it coming because I, I, what I think was interesting about Herbert was when you watched him in Oregon, the offense didn't do him any favors from sort of an evaluation standpoint, but when he had moments to attack downfield and specifically throw downfield against the leverage of defenders, back shoulder throws and things like that, that's when you really saw the raw talent and the Ram. I mean, the Chargers, to their credit last year, Pep Hamilton, Shane Steichen, they really put him in positions to sort of attack downfield, be vertical in the passing game. And just we don't you don't need to tell us if it's stubby versus stump versus sky versus cloud, the coverage, whatever. Find the nearest defender and throw away from him. If you could do that, you're gonna be okay. So they really sort of cater to his strength. So, you know, it's an example of seeing what a player can do on film, but also seeing if the coach and staff can cater the offense to what he does well. So is in, in, in the AFC West, is him taking his next step, your your storyline or like? I mean, it's, it, a, it, it's a good pick, though, but I look at Denver, right, Alex? And that is a you look at their 11 personnel package on offense. You've got Corton Sutton, KG Hamler, Jerry Judy at the receiver spots. No offense to no Ted Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon in the backfield. Like this could be a very good 11 personnel package. The question the quarterback, right? Are they yeah. going to really leave it in Drew Locke's hands? Are they going to? The offensive to- line is getting a lot better. Like Garrett, Garrett, Garrett Bowles, Bowles got good. They draft, yeah, they, they draft yeah. Quinn Minor. It's everybody's mm-hmm. little draft darling with oh, the gut. Wow. Like this him. could be a yeah. very good offense, Alex. But the quarterback position could hold it back. Does Drew Locke take a step that he needs to take? He had some ups and downs last year. You could watch him against the Raiders one week, where he's throwing like four interceptions. That he's looking great against the Carolina Panthers, a young and talented defense. If not, do they have to turn it over to Terry Bridgewater? Is the quarterback position? going to be an anchor in Denver and if it is will they then regret pass it on say at Justin Fields or even a Mac Jones and drafted Patrick Sertan in the corner well I mean it was certainly something where they went and got their guy 
Absolutely yep. something where they, I mean, they must love Sertan and that defense is going to be really good uh, as, as well. If you had to put your money on one, I mean, I, I have, I've, I've not been impressed with, with Drew Locke really one bit. He's had his, he's, he's had his moments, but um, even going back to going back to college, it was a guy who I, I, I had issues with his game and um, I, but then I'm not, I'm not enamored with Teddy Bridgewater either. It feels yeah, like, I mean, it, you almost get the sense that no matter what ends up happening, whether it's Locke or Bridgewater, this might be a, an opportunity missed by the Broncos where they had put together a tremendous group. I mean, similar to what I was saying about the Patriots, right? You could make the case 21 or 22 positions are really solid in Denver. Mm-hmm. It's just the one that's up in the air is quarterback. I, I think there's a chance Drew Locke takes a step forward, given the talent around him. But again, would I bet on it? No, I wouldn't. Well, okay. So, and then finally, we're we're to the uh, NFC NFC West again. We've been with Mark Schofield. You can find him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. That's S C H O Field. Um, he's with the Touchdown Wire USA Today. Uh, you can find his all of his content over there. We certainly appreciate you coming on, Mark, and ask that all the roster watch nation mobilize, unite, go and give our friend Mark Schofield a follow over there. All right, NFC NFC West. Is it about letting Russ cook? What is it? Yeah, I mean, again, another tough division. You've got look, let Russ cook, right? You've got Stafford going down to the Rams. You've got Kyler oh. Murray. Can take he can he take got, the year three lead? You got Trey Lance. This, this is the hardest. This is this the is hardest. The this is the hardest. We ended on the hardest, Alex. But I do think it's when Trey Lance sees the field, and I know there will be some that believe FCS kid, a season in a showcase game where he struggled. Like how quickly can you really put him into the starting lineup? Right. I think if there was going to be an offense where Trey Lance could start as early as say week four, three, two, it would be in, in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan because you watch that offense conceptually, a lot of play action stuff, a lot of 21 personnel stuff, you know, a lot of fakes thrown to the fullback in the flat, you know, sometimes where it's like Kyle juice is the primary read on a play. It was the same offense at NDSU. And if you've got doubts about that, if you don't believe me, take it from NDSU's coaches because you can go to coachtube.com. You can find videos of their offensive coordinator or their tight end coach breaking down their offense with Trey Lance, and you will see concepts that you just close your eyes and listen. And it's like, this is Kyle Shanahan stuff. This is Kyle Juszczyk out of the backfield. The offenses were very similar. In, other, in another situation with another organization, different offense, you might want to bring them along much more, much more slowly. But in this environment, with that offense and the similarities between the two systems, I think Trey Lance could play a lot earlier than people expect.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.